Hey there, spooky friends, and welcome to another episode of Pasta Time with the Scourge Podcast. I'm Robin Grace. This is Adam Diaz. Hello. And every week I forget what we're called. Um, we are here to read you folks some creepy pasta. Creepy pastas are. Uh, creepy pastas are the wonderful short fictions that have been written on the interwebs that are horror themed. Uh, at least we think they're fiction. Who really knows? Um, but you can find them in places like Creepypasta, SCP Foundation, uh, No Sleep Subreddit, and a zillion other places, including sometimes from our very own Spooky Friends community. Yep. We're going to be reading several of them for you tonight, and I'm pretty excited to get this thing started. So, Robin, why don't you go ahead and take it away? All right. So, the first one I'm going to read here is called The Land Where Nothing Grows by R.M. Staniforth. Uh, and it's kind of long, but hopefully you guys will... <laughs> We'll hang out with us. This is one of the longest ones we've ever read. Uh, it is not, actually. But, all right, let me get to it. So, it begins. I grew up on a small town ranch in the Midwest region of the United States on land that has been passed down in my family for several generations. It can be brutal out there with hot, dry summers that threaten to suck every last drop of moisture from you and unforgiving winters that trap everything outdoors in a deathly freeze. Sounds hot. That sounds like where you grew up. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit. Uh, despite all that, my family worked hard to make sure that our needs were always met and that the crops survived. Mom and Pa were two of the hardest working people I've ever known, and they were strict to keep the work going. Most rules that my mom and Pa were strict about were simply a means to survival, such as stay indoors when a blizzard is coming, staying away from the rocky areas where the rattlesnakes hide, always keeping water on you during the summer months, etc. There was one rule, however, that stood apart from the rest. If we ever so much as considered breaking that rule, there would be hell to pay. You don't talk about Fight Club. <laughs> uh, if that were the case, there would be no other rules other than not talking about Fight Club, which you would be breaking right now because you're talking about Fight Club. Well, I'm not in Fight Club. I'm allowed to talk about it. That one rule was that we must never, under any circumstances, go anywhere near the land where nothing grows. The land where nothing grows was a perfect circle in the southwest corner of the wheat field. The golden fields of endless wheat ended abruptly exactly where the circle started, as if the crops were scared to go even a single inch over that line. The circle had a circumference of about a 100 feet, with crops growing around it in a perfectly curved line. We call it the land where nothing grows because the circle is just that. Nothing ever grows in the circle, not so much as a common weed. Instead, the barren circle consists solely of dried brown dirt with cracks forming small crevices about. Now it may sound like just a dry patch of dirt, but there was something more than that to this land. The land where nothing grows had an ominous and tantalizing presence about it that raises the hairs on the back of your neck. It feels almost as if it somehow stares at you, gloating about its impenetrability, while dare you to explore your curiosity. Old wooden fence posts stood around the land where nothing grows, rotting away, but still holding the strands of rusty barbed wire that encircle the land where nothing grows. My granddad had built the fence some decades ago to keep the animals out, and more importantly, to make sure we could still see where the circle was when crops died off and the ground became covered in soft white snow. We were forbidden to go anywhere near that rickety old fence. Even Pa only goes close when it's absolutely necessary. When I was young, I didn't question why we weren't allowed to go near the land where nothing grows. As I grew older, however, I found myself questioning why nothing grew in that circle. I still remember the day I gave in and approached the land where nothing grows. 
I was 12 years old and had taken on a lot more responsibility for the farm chores than I had in previous years. I could feel a pit somewhere deep in my stomach as I approached, but I swallowed my fear to satisfy the increasing nag in my mind to understand the circle. I needed to know answers to questions I couldn't quite formulate, and something told me that the land where nothing grows could tell me those answers. As I approached, everything else around me seemed to fade. The sound of the breeze fidgeting with the wheat was no longer audible, and complete silence fell all around me. It was just me and the circle. Everything else faded into a gray blur in my peripheral. I reached out and touched the fence post, my eyes fixated on the center of the circle where the whispers seemed to come from. I didn't hear the whispers, but I could somehow feel the whispers in my mind. Come to me, boy. Come to me and understand. Allow me to show you, young boy. As I reached to put my hand on Totally a normal thing to hear. (laughs) People don't call you young boy all the time? I get called young boy every day. I'm pretty sure I always tell you, come to me, boy. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have my paddle waiting, to. As I reached to put my hand on the other side of the barbed wire, I was suddenly thrown back into the wheat by a strength that I had not expected. The force pulled me backward by my collar, dragging me through the wheat and soil for several seconds until I was released. As I scrambled to get my boots under me, I looked up to see Pa standing over me. I braced at his stature, expecting a spanking at the very least, just like Adam. Wow, I knew. I fucking knew you were going to do that. Uh, Instead, he crouched down in front of me, putting a shaking finger in my face. Look at me, son, he said in his deep, gritty voice. I looked up at him, looked him right in the eye, ready to own up to my disobedience. Only the look in Pa's eyes wasn't the look of anger that I had expected. It was much worse. What I saw in his watery brown eyes was the expression of deep-rooted fear, something I had never seen from my father. He paused as he struggled to find words and choked back tears. His hands started shaking worse as his eyes stared into mine and guilt found its way into my soul. Never go near that circle again, son, you hear me? You stay away from that goddamn fence, he finally said. He grabbed me and pulled me into a tight hug his hand pulling me in by the back of my head. The next words he whispered, I'll never forget. I almost lost you, boy. Everything dies in that godforsaken land. It's pretty intense. This reminds me of one of those stories that I actually did about, like, a Russian UFO and, like, where it supposedly landed, like, nothing's ever grown there since, in the middle of the forest. Do you remember this one? Uh... That's a no, everyone. No. Okay. Uh, After that day, I kept even further away from the land where nothing grows. Even as the presence of the land grew more taunting with every year I aged, it stared at me, even from a half mile away. It called to me, alluring me to visit its old rotten fence. One day, when I was 14, a severe windstorm tore through the town. We all bunkered down in fear of a tornado. I still remember listening to the creaks and groans of the house as it stood in defiance against the winds, and I was scared it would fall over. Nonetheless, the house stood strong, and sometime late in the night the winds subsided. I woke the next morning, still on the sofa next to my little sister who fell asleep grasping my hand. My dad was quietly putting on his boots by the door. "'Come on, son,' he said. "'We gotta go check the damages.' I softly set my sister's hand down, and after putting a blanket over her, I grabbed my boots and hat, following Pa out the door. 
I went around to the back of the house where an old tree had fallen, missing the house by no more than a truck's length. As I broke the branches away from the window, which had cracked but thankfully not shattered, I heard the moan of one of the dairy cows. Moan or moo? Uh, it wasn't a typical moo you'd hear from a cow, oh thanks for letting me know, but a moan of pain and desperation. I ran out to follow the desperate cries of the cow only to quickly realize where she was. She had wandered into the land where nothing grows. The storm must have knocked over that rickety old fence because only half of the posts remained standing. Old Diane, a three-year-old cow who had just given birth six months prior, lay inside the circle thrashing about and moaning in agony, unable to get back on her feet. Her enclosure had broken, spooking the cows every which direction, and that poor girl had walked right into the land where nothing grows. I ran to get my paw. I dared not go after Diane, but I knew that Pa would know what to do. I ran out to the barn where he was already at work patching a hole. As I told him what had happened, I saw sorrow come over his face and wrinkle creased in his brow. Wait, nope. And a wrinkle creased in his brow. We hopped in the old pickup and quickly drove out to the land where nothing grows. When we got there, Diane's condition had grown horrifyingly worse. The flesh looked as though it was rotting off in front of our very eyes, exposing her bones and muscle. Her eyes had glazed and blackened as she still gave feeble but excruciating moans for help. Paul wasted no time as he jumped from the truck with his hunting rifle in hand. He took one knee and quickly found his aim. A single shot rang out across the fields as the bullet pierced through the old cow's skull. He obviously wasn't going to throw away his shot. Wow. (laughs) Her head hit the dirt and her painful cries stopped. Complete silence fell and Diane was thankfully out of her misery, having fallen victim to the land where nothing grows. You see, everything dies in the land where nothing grows. Without saying a word, my pa got right back in the rusty red farm truck and we drove straight to the shed to collect new fence posts and barbed wire. The fence wasn't about to rebuild itself, after all. By the time we arrived back to the land where nothing grows, Diane's uh, Diane's body was gone, completely vanished. Is that what happens when something enters the circle? I asked pa. I've only seen it happen a few times myself, pa said with a stone face as he lit a cigarette. Okay. <laughs> Why has he got to do that? Why has he got to be so cool? Are you going to lecture him about smoking right now? The dude has a dead spot in his land where nothing grows. And he can't call it the dead spot. He has to call it the land where nothing grows, which takes so long. I know. It's different every time, but it's always painful. Only thing that's sure is that everything dies in the land where nothing grows. I grabbed one of the wooden-handled shovels, ready to start digging holes for the new posts. But Pa grabbed is the a shovel. shovel like a shovel? That's what he said. I fucking said shovel. <laughs> you fucking bitch. <laughs> I grabbed one of the wooden handled shovels ready to start digging holes for the new post, but Pa grabbed the shovel from my hands before I could take a step. Get the hell out of here, son. This is my job, Pa said with his cigarette hanging from the corner of his lips. What the? So it's more like, get the hell out of here, son. This is my job. Uh, no, that's not exactly <laughs> how that works, but... <laughs> How would I don't even know. You talk normal with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth. Uh I objected, but one stern look shut me right up and I set off to make sure the rest of the cows were gathered. I watched him from a ways away though as he built a new fence several feet back from the old one. 
Every move looked painful. I could see as he struggled against some unknown force to keep focused on the job, profusely wiping sweat from his brow until a newer, stronger fence encircled the land where nothing grows. Something changed in my paw that day, something I can't quite explain. From that day on, his face seemed more wrinkled, his shoulders slightly hunched, and his eyes became distant. Every step he took looked heavier, and he smiled less. The next four years were not kind to Pa's mental state. He started forgetting things, not eating as much, and smoking a hell of a lot more cigarettes. Just stop. You gotta quit, man. You gotta quit with your head. He'd go to milk the cows, even though he'd done that just hours before. One day, he even asked us where the hell one of our dogs came from, even though we'd had that dog since he was a pup. I'd catch him, completely zoned out and staring out in the distance, out towards the land where nothing grows. You could talk to him, and it was like he never heard it. We begged and pleaded for him to take a step back from the farm duties and get more daily rest, but the stubborn old man refused to allow us to take any of his responsibilities from him. He insisted that he was fine, even though we knew he wasn't. When I was 18, Pa disappeared. I found that old truck near the wheat field with the door open and the engine running, but he was nowhere to be found. We searched all day, worried that he'd had an accident or medical emergency, but the search was for nothing. Finally, as the sunset cast its brilliant orange across the fields, illuminating the golden wheat, I noticed his boot prints walking away from the truck. Those prints led straight into the land where nothing grows. Everything dies in the land where nothing grows. Even though there was no body to bury, we held a service for him at the cemetery next to the small white church. I'll never forget when my uncle, my dad's younger brother, grabbed me by the arm. He had those same deep brown eyes that my dad had. You're the man of the house now, son, you understand? He told me in a tone that was both stern and gentle. But you're going to be all right now, hear me? Your old man taught you right. You'll know what to do, son. Eleven years later, I still managed the Moore family farm. I proudly kept it up just as well as Pa did. My sister got the hell out of Dodge the day she turned 18 and headed to the city. Hell, I can't blame her for leaving this aging town. I'd be lying if I said it hadn't crossed my mind a time or two, but somebody had to keep the farm going. As Pa always said, money don't grow on trees. It grows on the wheat fields, except for the place where nothing grows, uh, but only if you keep it growing. Uh, the older I got, though, the more the land, where nothing grows, watched me. I still heard it oftentimes, whispering to me about my father. It's as if the circle had grown stronger, more lucrative, more manipulative. One morning, as I was walking by, something caught my attention. Something laying in the land where nothing grows. As I cautiously approached, I could see what it was. An old white cowboy hat sat on the ground just a foot inside the circle. I felt my stomach turn, and my heart skipped a beat just to pound back seconds later. I'd know that battered and stained hat anywhere. It was my pa's hat that he refused to replace, always said that the hat was a part of him. I trembled to see his old hat out there in the land where nothing grows. I knew I shouldn't, but I had to get that hat. As I ducked between the barbed wire, I could hear pa's voice in those quiet whispers. Come on over here and give your old man a hand, huh? I got, the edge of the, I got to the edge of the circle as the silence fell and my peripherals blurred. You make me proud, son. Pa, is that you? I asked. I know it's irrational, but at that moment I thought that retrieving that old hat would somehow bring my pa back to me. 
I reached out and the second I touched that hat, darkness encompassed everything around me. Shadows danced in the circle as agonizing screams pierced my ears, and it, it sounds like he's the one screaming, and incredible pain surged through every inch of my insides as if my heart was being ripped from my chest. That's when I heard him. Paw. His muffled yells reached me through the relentless screams penetrating my ears. Get the hell out of here, son. Run, boy. I came to my senses, and with every ounce of strength I could muster, I yanked on that hat and ripped myself free from the powerful clutch of the circle. The scream stopped, and daylight returned. I did exactly what Pa said and ran away from that godforsaken circle. I didn't stop until I reached the house, when I finally collapsed onto Pa's old recliner still clutching that battered hat. After all these years, I finally lost control over my emotions and let eleven years' worth of bottled-up tears pour out. After what seemed like hours, I finally pulled myself together and headed up the stairs to take a shower. My body ached, my back felt stiff and sore, and my knees popped with a twinge of pain at every step. It wasn't until I looked in a mirror that I realized the truth. At first, I was shocked to see Pa staring back out at me from the mirror. But I realized seconds later that I wasn't looking at Pa, I was looking at myself. That graying hair atop that wrinkly face in the mirror was mine, as were the darkening bags underneath my eyes. I looked old and haggard. I don't know how long my hand was inside that circle, nor what exactly it did to me, but it must have aged me twenty years in those seconds inside the land where nothing grows. I'm still doing what I can on the farm, but I can feel my mind slipping the same way Paws did. I find myself zoning out into nothingness, my thoughts stuck on the land where nothing grows. By the time I come to my senses, my coffee's gone cold. The land where nothing grows whispers to me, promising me peace, promising rest and relief for my painful body and slipping mind. Most importantly, it promises that I can see Pa again. Now I know that the whispers are lies, but every day they just get a little louder, a little more persistent, and I often find myself confused and believing the whispers, even whispering back. When I'm gone, I'm not sure what will come of this land, but if you ever find yourself on the edge of a circle of land where nothing grows, you'd best run and never look back. You see, everything dies in the land where nothing grows. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good story, good story. I will say I was waiting for, like, the stereotypical twist that you see with creepypastas, He's where, like, he was Pa the whole time, and the circle is actually, like, a teleportation circle, I, or something I, weird like that. I think when he woke up and he saw that he was old in the mirror, it's not that he aged, necessarily. It's, like, all that time, he kind of, like, lost all that time. Like, when... um all those years, his dad started getting, like, forgetting things and, and just not being all there. I think that's what happened to right. him because he spent too much time around that area. Um, but you never know. I don't, you believe whatever you want to believe. Interpret it however you want to interpret it. That's yeah. pretty good. Good yeah. job, R.M. Staniforth. Yeah. Nice name. <laughs> so before we move into our next story, we are going to take a really quick commercial break. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. All right, I'm going to go ahead and move into our next story. And this one's title is Knocking. And it goes like this. It started when I was six years old. I was in school. It was the middle of a reading lesson, and I needed to pee badly. At that age, actually, a fair few kids still wet themselves, and I always got paranoid about embarrassing myself in public like that. I stuck my hand up and told Mrs. Zebby that I needed to use the bathroom. After the usual speech about uh, how I, quote, should have gone at break, she gave me the key to the disabled access toilet. In parentheses, as it was the closest one to my classroom. My response would have been like, well, I didn't have to go on my break. I have to go now. And this is why you pee your pants, because they wouldn't give you the key. (laughs) It was the middle of fifth period, and the court... Fifth period? And there's six? Am I reading that correctly? That fifth period? I only had one... I like... One classroom, Four. and we did everything in that no, classroom yeah, when I was six. I think I had seven periods in one day because you have 45 minutes, 45 when, minutes. Yeah, 45 but when you're six? You're, you still are you're in elementary school. You get out the same time. You, elementary like, school, I had one. we had class 1A, class 1B. You did everything in that class. We didn't have periods. It would just be like time for art, and you'd walk down to the room that you do art in. We didn't have a period like you would in high school. I, we didn't start that shit until sixth grade. Till middle school, so. Well, like, it's like 45 minutes you have math class, 45 minutes you have English class, 45 minutes you have art, 45 minutes you have music, 45 minutes We had you have- subjects, but we didn't have periods or classes. I mean, I, I'm sure that's the same thing. All right, it just sounds weird to me. I just see this fucking six-year-old, like, going to their locker, talking about how much they hate their first job and, like, smoking a joint on recess. What the? All right. I mean, at six, you could do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, you're a grown-ass man at six. <laughs> All right, here we go. It was the middle of fifth period, and the corridors were empty and seemed cavernous to me. I was a short, scrawny thing back then. I sometimes had trouble with doors, especially unlocking them, and I fumbled for a good minute or two in trying to get the blasted thing open. And that's how you peed your pants. Anyway, as I sat on my porcelain throne, there came a knocking Whoa. at the door. What? Someone's in here, I, I called. I had to pee. Holy fucking shit, Robin. Can I read <laughs> I'm just, this? I'm just saying he said he had to pee. Why is he sitting on the porcelain throne? Sometimes when you're a little kid, you sit down and pee, maybe? I don't fucking know. Yeah, you're a dude. Tell me. I never sat down to pee. I did do the thing for a while where you pull your pants all the way to your ankles to pee at the (laughs) urinal. You don't want to be that kid at school. Okay. All right. Someone's in here, I called, disgruntled at this disturbance. There came a pause. Then the knocking resumed. It was faster now, more determined. Wait a minute! The knocking slowed, and a voice replied, Let me in. No. Mm -hmm. I need to come inside. The speaker's tone was thin and reedy, an adult I didn't recognize. Mm, that's freaking weird. I may have been six, but I also had a fairly good understanding of bathroom etiquette, mainly that you didn't let more than one person into an area only slightly larger than a cupboard. Go away! The knocking intensified again until it was a frantic drumbeat, just a few feet from me and out of sight. I heard the voice shouting something, growing more and more desperate. It's a haunted bathroom. Let me in! Just open the door, please! I was terrified by that point. The hammering and yelling were so loud, and yet nobody had come to investigate it. Eventually, my teacher came to find me, angry because I had been gone for almost half an hour. 
When I refused to open the door to let her in, she got a spare key from the receptionist and then took me to the headmaster's office and called my parents. I was suspended for the rest of the week. I what? never told anyone what happened. Wow, that sucks. Yeah, that's bullshizzle. It was a few weeks before my next encounter with this phenomenon. I had just celebrated my seventh birthday, and my family was having a barbecue in my honor. It was a glorious sunny day, but as soon as we'd set everything up in the allotments behind our house, the coal refused to light. My dad asked me to go get some fire starters from the shed Mm -mm. in the front garden. Nope, no, he's going to go into the shed, and they're going to be knocking, and they're going to yell again. It was pretty cramped inside, and I wouldn't fit all the way, so I just opened it up, stood on tiptoes to reach the shelf, holding my objective, then shut the door. As I turned away, a frantic knocking hit the other side of the door. Open up! I need to come through! The voice was not the one I'd heard the month before. It was deeper, more brooding, and angry. Oh, let me take it again. Open up! I need to come through. (laughs) It's better. I said nothing and hurried away. I had no idea what was happening, but it frightened me. As I walked away, there came a final thump, like a fist being slammed against wood, and I heard his voice again. You little bastard! I'll rip your fucking teeth out. Let me through. What the what? I ran back to my party and spent the rest of the day glancing over my shoulder. As you might have guessed by now, there were a lot of these voices. I count at least 30 total. Every month or so, I used to get them, pleading to be let through doors. Almost always, it would be immediately after I shut the door behind me, as though these strange entities had been following me. I never told anyone, but to be honest, I kind of just got used to it. It always made me jump, and some of the voices would make me feel uneasy, but I knew that I was safe, so long as I did not open the door. Some of the voices I got used to, to the extent that I even named them. There was one which always used to appear at my front door at home. We had frosted glass, and I could see a silhouette of an average-sized man wearing a cap of some kind. He never spoke, but occasionally would push envelopes containing blank pieces of paper through the letterbox. I called him the postman. I hope at the end, like, he's knocking on the door to come through. He's like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. I love that song. He was one of the more unsettling ones. If I tried to speak to him, he would look up sharply, then begin knocking. I generally left the postman alone. So creepy, dude. 20 years on, and I have retained as much normality as possible. I have plenty of friends, and I even have an on-and-off relationship with a girl I met last year. Not bad for a guy who wakes up in the middle of the night and listens intently to noises you can't hear on the other side of the door. Yeah, my buddies think I'm strange and kooky, but they put up with it. They're all great. I'll miss them. Oh, fuck. What the what? (laughs) You see, things have started to get strange. Well, stranger than usual, I suppose. Three weeks ago, I awoke, sweating and crying, though I do not know why. My dream had been, from what I recall, fairly normal, when a huge shadow had abruptly fallen over everything. Literally the second I opened my eyes, there came the knocking at my bedroom door. Not just normal knocking, though. This was truly frantic. Who goes there? I yelled. Why is his voice like that? Because it says who goes there. That's how you say that phrase. Please help us, it replied. I was surprised. It was the sadistic, angry voice that I remembered from my father's shed on my seventh birthday. Oh, so you gotta retake it. But it seemed genuinely sincere. Please help us. (laughs) There was a pained tone to it, too. As though the speaker were grievously wounded. I actually found myself pulling back the sheets to get up, but I hesitated. I had never before been tempted to open the door. I suppose as a child, I had so rigorously drummed into my head the idea that whatever lay beyond was evil, that it was just common sense. To be quite honest, I came very close to letting the thing into my room that morning. I held out in the end. 
It got worse. Two days later, I was in my local corner shop. I just paid for a bottle of milk and a newspaper when a great force slammed against the shop door. Simultaneously, a voice began screaming, a long, keening squeal of pain. I imagine it sounded like... Oh, wait, a voice screaming. (laughs) I'm tired. You stole my joke, and yours was terrible. That's the worst part. I'm taking it again. I imagine this long, keening squeal of pain sounded like... Oh. I whirled to face the the door, but there were so many flyers plastered over the glass that I could only just make out the shape of a woman on the other side, slapping her palms against the window. The shopkeeper stared at me as though I were crazy. In the end, I asked if he had a bathroom I could use, murmured some half-thought-out excuse, and hid there for ten minutes until the screaming stopped. There were four more incidents between then and now, a mixture of screams and tearful begging. The postman stopped by yesterday, too. He knocked politely before sliding his usual letter through the letterbox. Then another. Then another. A total of ten plain brown envelopes. The postman waited for a few minutes, knocking occasionally, and then he left me alone. Each letter contained a sheet of A4 paper, but somebody had taken a black pen to the pages, scribbling and shading them with such vigor that there were large tears around the center, and the edges were frayed. I shoved them back into their envelopes and tried to put it from my mind. Earlier, my bedroom door shook violently. It wasn't a scream or a howl or a roar that I heard, though. It was just crying. Dozens and dozens of voices sobbing quietly. Another blow struck my door. Plaster flaked from the walls and twirled to the carpet. Still no pleas or bargaining, just sobbing. Crash. I jumped up from my chair. Crash. A hairline crack split the frame of the door in one corner. My phone began to ring and I heard a sharp rapping at the glass of my window behind the curtains. I tried answering the phone, but it was simply yet more voices crying. Not even sobbing, though. More like bawling in terror and anguish. I hung up, but it kept ringing, so I took the battery out. This is getting weird. I have shoved most of my furniture against the door and window. It has been three hours since this latest attempt at entry began. The battering has not abated, nor has the crying. I'm fairly sure that my door won't hold much longer. As for my mediocre barricade, it could be swept aside in two minutes. I find myself faced with the very real possibility of death, so I am writing this memoir of sorts just in case something does happen. Crash. What do they want? Crash. Do they even want to hurt me? Crash. They seemed fearless, even malicious before. Crash. What could have driven them to this? Crash. Maybe I should open the door. Crash. Maybe I should let them in. Silence fell. I realized that even the crying had ceased. For a whole minute, I sat there. Then I got up and hurried to my door, eager to escape their claustrophobic situation. Perhaps I'd go outside, where I could be far away from any doors and from the damned knocking. I pulled away my barricade and turned the handle. Locked. Kneeling, I peered through the keyhole. Beyond my bedroom door was not the quarter that I remembered, but another room. Some kind of library or classroom, I think. It seemed unoccupied, but for one kid sitting and reading with his back to me. I banged on the door. Hey, kid. Let me out, okay? He glanced over his shoulder. Yeah, over here. Could you open the door, please? I can't. I'm in detention. I'm not supposed to talk to anyone. Go away. He turned from me. Confused and exasperated, I began to stand up. A loud bang shattered the silence once more. I realized it sounded like a fist being pounded against glass. My window. 
I heard it again, but this was not the frantic knocking of somebody wanting to get inside. This was not even an attempt to break in. Whatever was beyond the curtain and glass knew I was inside. It knew I was frightened, in the most predatory and sadistic way possible. It wanted me to be afraid. I turned back to the door and began hammering on it frantically. Hey, uh, let me in, okay? I really need you to open the door. And that's by Stephen Shorter. Thank you so much for writing that. Uh, so the twist is, he became the person on the other side of the door. Yeah, he became trapped by whoever it was that was doing this. I wonder what would have happened if he would have just opened the door for one of them, but they all seemed frantic and angry, especially the ones like, I'll knock your fucking teeth out, or whatever. Reason, I think if you had someone who was like reasonably pleading, like, hey, I seem to be trapped in here, could you like maybe open the door for me? I'd really appreciate it. It might go a little bit better than like threatening children, but who knows? I mean, if you were trapped somewhere in this room and you wanted to get out and you thought someone had kidnapped you and put you in that room and wasn't letting you out, wouldn't you be like, I'll fucking kill you? No, I mean, that's not his situation, though. He knows what's going on because he experienced it his whole life. There's no way that would happen to me for 20 years, and I wouldn't have thought what I would say to get out of that same situation. I would just try and be reasonable and be like, hey, can you let me out? I am trapped, and I really need help, and I have candy. And I think you could probably, you know, get let out of there sooner Why? or later. Why do you immediately go to, hey, I got candy? It was the joke that you were supposed to get, but you took way too seriously. Oh. So, either way, good stuff. All right, so I'm going to read the last story of this episode because these stories have been fairly long so far. Uh, and this one is titled Living Life Backwards. I just wanted to read this one because it reminds me of Tenant. Because we just oh, watched yeah. Tenant and everything is about inversion, life inversion, things like that. Uh, all right. It begins. Tomorrow is the day my wife dies. It won't be an expected death, nor is it one that she deserves. What will happen is a simple, random act with no meaning behind fate's command. We'll be out walking, holding hands as we're heading home from a long day at work. Once we get to a crosswalk, her phone will ring. It's her mother calling to tell us that her cancer has returned once more. It doesn't come as a shock. She'd been in remission for a couple of years, but her body had been ravaged by the previous round of chemo and radiation. The words wear heavy on my Lucy, and I see the tears well up in her eyes. She tries to stay strong in front of me, pretending she can handle the moment she's been preparing. Then she starts to approach the crosswalk. What she doesn't notice is that during our brief pause, the light has turned red. As she takes her first step into the crosswalk, she gets hit by a car and hits the ground. She dies on impact, and the paramedics can do nothing to help. In less than a second, everything she ever was will be taken away from me, and I have to watch it happen. I'm so sorry, Lucy. Her death is a fact I've known since we first met as young children. Yet I can do nothing to prevent her untimely demise, no matter how badly I want to. She made me a promise. Swear never to tell her the inevitable truths of her future. Even had I tried to do so, it wouldn't have mattered. We weren't meant to know the end. That's what makes life beautiful, she said. But they're just words written down in a book. A reassuring lie I don't remember. That'll be it. The last memory I have of my wife alive. Once her body's been buried, and once I've moved away to another city, I'll forget she ever existed. All I'll be left with is a hole in my heart that I won't be able to fill until the day I finally die. Because that is my curse, to remember everything from my own future, but nothing of the past. 
To the best of my knowledge, I've always been this way, from the very first step I took as a toddler and from the first words spoken. I was given every single memory from my entire life, even though I hadn't yet experienced them. In return, they vanish from my mind once I experience them. In the most bizarre way, I'm living my life backwards. I'm burdened with the knowledge of tomorrow, knowing fully well I can do nothing to alter the oncoming passage of time. Thus, at the ripe old age of 35, I've forgotten every single factual detail about my life, and once these words have been put down on paper, they'll be gone too, washed away by my fractured mind. But before we continue my story, let me answer a few questions, such as, how can I write if I forget everything after learning it? How can I walk? How can I even have relationships with other people if their details elude me day to day? To the first two, I'll answer this. Do you remember your first step? Yep. I don't. The act of learning how to stand on two feet, or is it simply something you know how to do? A skill ingrained into your very being. Do you even need to think before speaking, or do words just flow out with only its context processed? Love, on the other hand, is an emotion that transcends memory. It's so deeply buried in our hearts that there have been cases of total amnesia, ridding the person of everything save the love they hold within. Memory and skill don't necessarily go together. Some abilities are ingrained in our muscles and our subconscious mind. That's why I still miss my mother, even though I remember nothing about her, and it is why I still love my wife on her last night of life. My curse is more like reverse amnesia, and the stories I have to tell are simply words read from a notebook. Each day, I awake to read events from a time I cannot remember. The handwriting doesn't even belong to myself, but to two distinct people. The first set of stories, spanning from my childhood to my mid-twenties, were written by my mother. She was a brilliant person, quick to action, and smart as all hell. She noticed something off about me at a very young age once I started predicting things that hadn't yet come to pass. The first incident occurred when I was five years old. It was such an innocuous, dumb complaint. I didn't want to go outside because of the storm. I was afraid the lightning would hit us during the picnic we'd planned. My mother was naturally confused, as the trip had been scheduled for the next day, and the weather report had confidently stated that the day would be filled with nothing but sunshine. Then, as the next morning arrived, my mother was shocked to see that my predictions had come true. Baffled but still skeptic, she wrote it down in her own diary as little more than an oddity. Just a year later, my mother found me crying in my room. I was distraught because our cat had died. She sat down and started to comfort me. Sure, our pet was of advanced age, but he still remained healthy, as curious as ever. In the middle of my frantic cries, the cat just walked in, checking what the commotion was about. A month later, he passed peacefully in his sleep, a good old cat who lived a great life. As I grew older, I quickly learned to separate past from future. My mother had already put two and two together, and she knew my life would be complicated, full of challenges. Because of that, I had difficulty making friends. Back then, my wife Lucy lived next door, and even she figured out something was weird about me. To her young mind, it seemed more of a superpower than a curse, and she eagerly promised to help keep a secret. Whether my ability was a gift or a curse, my mother never loved me any less. Instead, she took it upon herself to write down whatever moments we shared. That way, my life, though not remembered, would never be forgotten. She did her best to make my life manageable, but despite her best efforts, it was a painful journey, not just for myself, but for those who loved me. Of course, she never blamed me. After all, it wasn't my fault. But, as all people eventually do, my mother passed away. 
It's something I can't correctly recall, but the emotion connected to the event lingers firmly in my heart. It was my 22nd birthday, and we'd booked a table at a decently fancy restaurant. Whether the food was good or bad, I can't remember. All I know is that on that day in particular, it was raining. On the slippery roads, my mother was supposed to drive. As she turned a foggy corner, she was hit by a drunk driver who didn't react in time to stop. She died then, on my birthday, and I couldn't accept it. It sounds like a scene out of How I Met Your Mother. I feel like we remember that show very differently. (laughs) So I did something horrible. And changed it. That's the day I learned the true curse of my condition. I did everything I could to convince my mother not to go. I begged her to stay at home, threatened that I wouldn't show up for my own birthday if she as much as set a foot outside the house. Thanks to my tantrum, my mother agreed to stay at home. She was smart enough to know something terrible was about to happen and didn't press the matter any further. We spent the evening watching a movie, mindless fun for someone unable to remember the plot, but I was ecstatic nonetheless. I thought I had changed the course of history. My mother never left the house and as a result she was never hit by the drunk driver. But the funny thing about fate, there's nothing that can stop it. In the end, my efforts were fruitless because she was supposed to die. That night, her soul, spirit, essence, whatever the hell you want to call it, vanished. Her time had come, and though I had hindered the death of her physical body, she was taken away from me. It wasn't until the next morning before I noticed something was wrong. I found her sitting at the edge of her bed, unresponsive and catatonic. None of the doctors could explain it, as all her vitals appeared fine. Despite being physically healthy, she was just... gone. I learned that day that I cannot save anyone who falls victim to the cruel judgment of destiny. In the end, whenever I tried, it only made things worse. The worst part is that since I never actually experienced her death as it was supposed to happen, it's the only memory of my past I still remember. Though it doesn't match up with reality, in my mind she was hit by the drunk driver, but according to every available document, she spent her final years in a coma, only dying once her body finally gave out. By the time of my mother's death, my girlfriend had known about my curse for years and took it upon herself to take over the task of recording my life. Each event, important or minor, was jotted down the same in the same notebook that my mother had carried around for so many years. To this day, I don't know what I've done to deserve such an amazing woman, despite my complicated life. She still loved me. It was odd, though, having known each other since children. As she got to know me, I was starting to forget her. I guess it helped having grown up side by side with my secret. That's the only way she could possibly understand to see beyond it to who I truly am. Even then, as we first met, I knew we'd end up married one day. Of course I did. I had every single memory stored in my mind. Maybe that fact allowed me to act more confident than I truly was, or maybe destiny played a hand in our pairing. I don't know. But... By the time we entered an age where crushes became an acceptable fact, we quickly started dating. Together, we shared all of our firsts, though I don't remember any of them. I can recall the feelings connected to each event. I love her with all of my heart despite losing some of the memories I have of her for each passing day. Which brings us to the present day. Tonight, we won't be able to sleep. She won't know why, but something will irk her mind. Instead, we'll stay up late, talking and reminiscing about times long since past. I won't crack, I won't cry, and I won't let her know what's about to happen. She'll just write her final entry into my book, and then we'll fall asleep in each other's arms. I can't prevent her death, 
lest I want her to suffer the same fate as my mother, and once she's gone, there will be none left to continue my story. Each day will pass as it always has, and I'll forget. Doomed to wander this world alone, I can do nothing save wait for my eventual death. That's why I'm writing this now, as my wife sleeps beside me. I need the world to know what I can't. I need someone to remember my story, to remember that I once walked this path. I don't regret my life because despite all odds, it was a happy one. It was filled with love, and despite my memory being lost, I know there will be a trace of my presence rippling through time itself. Life is not a certainty. Don't treat it like tomorrow is a given. It might never come. Thank you. That's by Richard Saxon. <laughs> that one's really good. It reminds me of like a mixture of The Curious Case of Benjamin Button yeah. and River Song's storyline. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, except yep. that like, for whatever reason, like as you pass events that you knew were going to happen, you forget them. Have you ever watched The Time Traveler's Wife? No, I haven't. I know the that plot. That was depressing as well. What I watched was the Rachel McAdams interview on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. And she basically <laughs> described the entire fucking movie. What? Because she loved the movie so much. She was so excited to talk about it. And then she started, like, whispering details. And, like, she has a microphone on so everyone could hear it. And at some point, John Stewart's like, you know you don't have to tell us everything, right? <laughs> but she, like, really enjoyed the movie. So, yeah, I know what it's about. But, um, yeah, because, like, they're just, like, misaligned in time. And he meets her, like, in different points. And right. He meets her, like, when she's a kid and stuff like that. And... Because he's constantly traveling, and he's never, like, in the same timeline as her. He and never so moves in a linear direction, as we so would think So he of disappears it. randomly. Right. And she just accepts that he disappears. Because she's met him when he she was a kid, you know? And so, so it's just, like, all this weird shit. It's depressing, and I hate it. But that's what it reminds me of, for sure. Right on. Either way, it's a good story, and uh, I enjoyed it. Thanks. All right. I think that's everything that we have for this episode of Pasta Times. Thank you to everyone who listened and to everyone who watched live over at twitch.tv slash scaryishpodcast and youtube.com slash scaryish. You can also watch us on facebook.com slash scaryishpodcast. If you ever want to catch us live, it's Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, if you have a story that you have written or if you have a story that you've read that's fictional and you would like to suggest it to be on Pasta Time, feel free to reach out to us by emailing pastatime at scaryish.com. We would love to hear from you. Or you can hit us up on any of our social medias. As I mentioned, Facebook is Facebook.com slash Podcast. Twitter is at Pod, And Instagram is at Podcast. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Robin, for folks who would like to donate to us, how can they do so? You can go to Patreon.com slash Podcast. Those are monthly donations. And to your start, at a dollar. Or you can go to Coffee, ko-fi.com slash Podcast, And those are one-time donations. Yeah. Either way, thank you so much for everyone who supports us in, in every way, shape, and form. We sincerely appreciate you. You all are amazing and that's everything that we have. So thank you so much for uh, spending your day with us or your evening or whenever it was that you listened to it. We appreciate you. But that's everything we have. So I guess, uh, Robin, go ahead and sign us out. Keep on creeping on, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.